Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 86. I'm Brentley. I'm Dan. And today, oh wait, before before I introduce our amazing <laughs> guest, Miss Shapeshifter, um, I wanted to remind everyone to like, comment, subscribe, uh, spread this around if you can. If you can, you know, share this conversation or snippets from this conversation. If you want to make clips and post it on your channel, you guys totally have yeah. free range. Take it as content, clip it up, throw it wherever you want. And if you want to help us keep doing this, we will gladly take your money. Please donate because <laughs> yes, it, there it, are donation links in the description. It definitely can be exhausting. No longer yeah. accepting PayPal, unfortunately, because they are screw PayPal. But yeah, the, the culture war can be a lot. Um, also, we just got our second strike on our YouTube channel. We'll get into that. I will get into that. But one of our videos was removed and we might be on the chopping block soon. So we appreciate any support. Uh, just a reminder, you can also find us on Rumble and Odyssey in case we do vanish from yeah. the YouTube space. It is possible. Yeah, and all that's hosted on DangerousRhetoric.com. So if we ever vanish, just go there and you'll find, find all of our there. content. With that said, Brent. Today, I want to introduce the beautiful, the amazing, the based shapeshifter who is a detransitioner who came to our attention after we saw her interview on uh, Blair White. You guys should go check out that interview for more fascinating background on shapes and experience. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll start with that. Um, we'll start with that Blair White interview and maybe we can kind of go over a bit of your backstory, but we also don't want to dwell too much on that either because we know you went into a lot of detail. And and you know we can direct people to that you go watch it so you know how how did you get into contact with blair and you know what made you decide to to detransition and to start speaking out about your experiences um well first off let's start with like how i finally built up a courage well, I had complications with my surgery pretty much right away when I had it seven years ago. And ever since then, I had multiple surgeries trying to fix the issue. And my goal with transition uh, was what most transsexuals want, which is to present a stereotype <laughs> of an opposite sex so we can just blend in and live our lives. Like I never, my long-term plan was never to carry a trans label, I guess. That's the mindset I went in into the surgery because I was sold a sex reassignment surgery. I wanted to have the surgery and move on with my life, you know, <laughs> and just live as a woman, I guess, because I was delusional enough to believe that I could just have a surgery and live as a woman. But um, right was a bad, that's, that's, that's what they told you, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's what they told me, right? And yeah. um, I also was uh, delusional enough to think that, like, I'm gonna have the surgery and like I can just leave. And but I didn't realize that I wasn't passable, you know. And like, people, once you leave that pink bubble of tranny chasers and other trans people who are like, you're so beautiful, you're so feminine, and once you kind of have that surgery and like you go out in the real world, pe some people can tell, like, you're a man. <laughs> And it's like, and that's when your bubble bursts, you know, as so well almost would have been probably healthier for my mental health to stay in the pink bubble and just live my life as a trans woman, you know, which right now, no matter what people say, when you think of a trans woman, you think of titties and a dick. Like you cannot convince me otherwise. 
like <laughs> that's what it is like i mean we lost a lot of definition but in my mind that what trans woman is that's what we see in porn that's what people assume right right away like there's there's very few post-ops in general a lot of people do not get the surgery yeah. which by the way i do not recommend <laughs> at all so i'm glad a lot of people are not getting it but also a lot of people who don't get the surgeries they're always the ones that are screaming the loudest how the surgeries are safe and should be available to anybody with minimal gatekeeping which uh me and a few other detransitioners and unhappy transitioners can testify that like these are completely ex like irreversible drugs and surgeries and um we actually, now that I've peaked, uh, I did some research, you know, <laughs> I realized there's literally no studies showing that bottom surgery slash like sex seven surgery helps anybody's mental health. You know, there's literally zero studies showing that there's no wow. studies showing the opposite, that I'm much more likely to like um, cancel myself. Oh my God. Uh, dementia. Yeah, like after the surgery, there have been some studies done in Sweden, but it doesn't matter. Like, I feel like both sides, like throwing out the studies and they're all getting debunked by the other side so it's yeah. like at this point we're having this huge like wave of detransitioners and a lot of them detransitioning not because they weren't accepted like as trans it's because they didn't get the happiness you know they didn't get the gender euphoria that was enough to cancel out all the mental issues and damage done in my case to my body you know <laughs> i don't go out there oh my god i get to wear like a two-piece like i'm not like i don't see like dylan mulvani experience you know <laughs> like oh my god i'm so happy to be a woman like, I'm not <laughs> oh that got one i just saw that speaking of dylan we can take a short <laughs> Yeah, I saw the that White he House. went to the White House and spoke to I know on this subject. I just thought it was interesting that somehow in the universe, Dylan Mulvaney, trans woman, um, goes to speak to Joe Biden about these very important issues. Meanwhile, shape talking to Joe Biden about these issues, Blair White yeah. talking to Joe like, Biden it, about these issues. Is, is the Joe Biden administration um, going to hear the other side <laughs> of, of the not. story? No. Probably not. I doubt Shapeshifter is going to get an invite to the White House. Honestly, Biden was one of my triggers because I was already boiling inside. Leah Thomas and Biden were my triggers as well to just finally come out. I talked about my complications on my YouTube channels like four years ago. I was never a trans influencer because I kind of missed out on all that. I gave up all that for my privacy and to leave styles. Yeah. You know, I kind of part of me like seeing how all those trans influencers took off in 2014 to 16. You know, they got like all this recognition, all those videos. You know, look at my ass, it's grown on HRT. Yeah. You know, all those videos were taking off. You know, boy to girl, you know. Those stereotypical cheesy like sub nails. I kind of missed out on all that because that's not what I wanted. I just wanted to leave quietly. You know? But when Biden said like, "Oh, it's the best thing you can do to affirm your child's gender," and like, "Let's we have to worry about our transgender seniors," I kind of lost it because I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what transgender seniors? I don't think I'm even gonna make it that far." Like with all the experimental drugs in my system, like I'm literally mentally struggling. If people think it's a joke to try cross-sex hormones, whether that would be estrogen or testosterone, and that. Like I'm detransitioning right now. I'm taking testosterone, but I'm also taking some estrogen because I can't go too crazy on my testosterone. Yeah. I'm getting a phantom limb thing in the morning. I feel like yeah. I have a boner and then it's not there. It just brings more attention to my genitals. Do you know, and, you know, Richie, do you know Richie on Twitter? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. He's my friend and as a detrans man. Yeah. Yeah. We spoke with him as well. And he had that whole thread about this and he's also going through mm -hmm. a similar situation with the hormones 
now, you know, and not taking too much of one or the other because it's like he's not naturally producing the testosterone, so he has to take mm-hmm. the testosterone. But I don't know. It's you know, we just told him like do whatever is gonna create the less the least amount of suffering for you you know right exactly because we're already been experimented on and we're just in uncharted territory completely yeah. and actually the doctors that are like trans doctors that help people transition they also don't know what the hell they're doing they pretend like they know or they have the data long term children definitely are out of question because we really haven't experimented enough on children i guess and i'm 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 sure somebody gonna say it takes a serious line being sarcastic like yeah. uh, to have the long term data like whether it's safe for kids to transition like we really don't know many cases where kids have been transitioned and they've been happy with the results 20 30 40 years down the line and we just don't have that yeah. uh, we have case of Jazz Jennings a lot of my viewers and viewers I'm sure have seen Jazz Jennings situation and I don't think that person is striving <laughs> actually I haven't used that word in a while and with my accent doesn't come through <laughs> I don't think she's thriving <laughs> yes right um Speaking yeah. of the accent, uh, I wanted to ask, you know, where where are you originally from? Where do you? Uh, well, I don't want to reveal that, but I'm from a small country that's kind of like Eastern Europe slash Middle East. So I was like raised Muslim, but then I'm no longer Muslim. That's so I'm more spiritual, yeah. So I definitely had a lot of homophobia, as I mentioned in Blair White interview growing up. I still internalize homophobia a little bit because yeah. uh, I think we all do. I think all gay men struggle with that for most of their lives you know gay bisexual men in general i think it's just something where it's a process you know of of getting that shame and you know how many trans people are actually just dealing with that and this is the thing you know why it's so dangerous to be pushing young people into these into these practices because how they're not even having time to settle into their identities to figure out if they're they're just gay you know they're putting like little boys on puberty blockers which will permanently and irrevocably you know shrink their genitalia you know that's that's cruel to me like you know men in general are already insecure about the size of their penis unless they're really large um but in general you know like to do that to a small child and to to take away his his potential uh before he can even consent to that kind of thing it, it really, it, it doesn't sit right with me. I don't even think circumcision, I have a problem with circumcision. Yeah. And because yeah. I find it like a little like, why are you taking a scalpel to that baby's genitals before he yeah. can even talk? Like, well, the radical <laughs> activists too, when we talk about this stuff, they love to bring up circumcision and say, oh, well, are you fighting against circumcision in yes. this way? And are you also against circumcision? And we say, yeah, yes. actually, we, we are. <laughs> we, we have a problem with that as well. So. Um, I do have a friend who fights against like child circumcision in Canada. His name is James. I was actually on his channel. (laughs) He has a small YouTube channel. He's like an older gay Canadian man. And I never thought of it because I was circumcised too, obviously. Like, and I wish actually I had more skin. Like, obviously I regret the whole surgery altogether, but maybe if I had that extra skin, maybe would have done something. I don't freaking know. (laughs) But even from trans perspective, if, um, surgeries were to be safe it's honestly good to have extra skin <laughs> you just never know just yeah. from reconstructive purposes you know if you're ever in some kind of accident you may need that extra skin <laughs> i know it's not that much probably but it's still it's your bio, bio material like <laughs> no it's true i actually when i was in college i hooked up with a guy who had a accident trying to climb over a barbed wire fence 
and actually damaged his the tip of his penis. Oof. And uh, it was he had a permanent sort of scarification where you know the glands, which is like the the head of the penis, was on one side, sort of like just it was just flat into uh, like scarred the side of it. But yeah, it, had he had a little extra there, it might have been yeah, the injury would yeah. have been more protective. But and that's why the good Lord gives us foreskin. Like you know, there's yeah. a reason we're born with it, right? Like, yeah, but you know, religion is another topic too. <laughs> well, that's also yeah. why a lot of people cut it off. You know, yes. the Muslims cut it off because of the right. the, 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 the Prophet with Muhammad and the Jews. And the well, Christians yeah. in America do it across the board just because of Kellogg in the, the 19th century. They he popular. Right. Yeah. But that just shows how important cultural narrative is. You know, it's Indeed. like what we're, we're, we're almost like, I, I, all of a sudden realized, are we, are we part of counterculture that's like all of a sudden yes. like, we, are. <laughs> we are the new counterculture. Yes. <laughs> and it also goes to show that the whole like, gender ideology movement and in many ways it's, it's like it's like a religion though like this is like to go through the surgeries and the hormones and all of that stuff like it feels it's like, like a sacrament it's like a sacrament to some of these people it's like holy to them and i just find right. that very bizarre and speaking about that i just had casey miller on my channel and you guys now like so the hate train is not stopping so i'll be making like more reaction videos yes. uh like all the tiktokers just like calling us grifters I, yep. and he was part of a fundamental church you know growing up and he tweeted something like the similarities i see between like um transgender ideology and fundamental church is uncanny and that's what he said it's very like cult-like and he doesn't want to identify as the transitioner per se officially like and he's just still kind of gonna have to live i guess maybe yeah. as a trans okay yeah so I, I remember when when casey put video her video out recently or her him <laughs> i don't know which, whatever pronoun yeah. um and that was like a couple weeks ago and it's crazy to see how quickly his followers went up you know i saw him go from like 2000 to now he's at like yes, almost 15000 and yeah. wow <laughs> goes to show how many people are now actually paying attention to this now um yeah the fact that his followers went up that quickly and then there were all these you know trans radical activist types literally attacking him making fun of of her appearance and like no sympathy at all no empathy for for what this person is going through and i just find it like it's despicable some of the behavior i've seen on twitter and i know but i think a lot of people who just attacks they really don't know they don't have time to like deeply and they don't want to to see our stories they don't want to see my interview with blair wise they don't want to see they don't want to read casey's twitter because it could trigger the transition you know and in this at this case it probably just means dropping trans label but you're still figuring out what the transition even means like if i stop testosterone will i be a retransitioner like i don't know like <laughs> so like yeah but i one thing i want to also bring up i just noticed being part of this community how like this religious groups and um and right wings you know and i'm kind of more leaning right as well at this point you know they often treat d trans women differently than d trans men to a lot of them d trans men are just a bunch of perverts that deserved what happened to them you know <laughs> and that's kind of reality you know whenever a d trans woman comes out she gets more and they deserve all the support i'm i'm supportable i'm just saying that's what i've noticed being a d trans man you know <laughs> I do get a lot of love and support, but I don't get as much as the trans woman. <laughs> but I feel like yeah, it's the same with gays and lesbians. You know, I feel right? like exactly. You know, yeah. 
and I'm not saying lesbians have never been stigmatized and don't go through homophobia and stuff like that, but I feel like there's always been more of a taboo around the gay man. Of course, hundred percent. The same with bisexuality. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. every crazy guy's dream to have a, a bisexual wife or a girlfriend. Yeah. It's like almost every straight woman's yeah. nightmare, or it's, it shouldn't be, but that's how it, it shouldn't is. be. I yeah. think I actually think bisexuals probably go through the most shit. I'm starting to realize, you know, yeah. because it's like, you know, you have gay men who are afraid to date them because it's like, oh, you're going to leave me for a woman. And then you have straight women who are afraid to date them because it's like, oh, you're going to leave me for a man. And that that must be difficult. You know, I, I can't even imagine what that must be like. Yeah, but, uh, and I know I have some radical homosexuals following me as they tell me things like, you know, there is no real bisexuality. This man are just gay men that are yeah. have, have trained themselves to sleep with women. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> no, actually, technically... I am bisexual. I every mm -hmm. once in a while on a blue moon. This is like this is the way I describe it. I'm probably attracted to like one out of a thousand women out there in the world, but I'm attracted to maybe like one out of like ten guys. And so I have like a much higher propensity to be attracted to men, but it doesn't, you know, I it it does occur and I have slept with women and I have enjoyed it. But uh <laughs> incredibly rare and for all intents and purposes i identify as gay because i'm i'm effectively gay i don't i don't date women i don't seek you know you know women in any sort of romantic or sexual context so effectively gay but technically bi right Cold yeah I, mean, I do know like bisexual people as well you know my ex-husband some people are going to say he's gay but like I, I i started dating him was when i was just like you know twin before transition and he's been there for me for like all the surgeries. And even after we got divorced, I still like, we're still in good relationship, you know? So he's legitimately like bisexual, or I guess what people would call pansexual, <laughs> but like he's bisexual, you know? But it doesn't matter what I think or he thinks, a lot of people are gonna say he's just gay, even though he was married before to a regular woman, you know? <laughs> and all that. And um, yeah, just like, I, I've met real bisexual people. And when I was gay, like initially, like <laughs> I'm still gay, but like when uh, <laughs> when I discovered I was gay, I could also not understand bisexuality, you know, because I was like, I wish I was at all attracted to women, you know, <laughs> but I was so like, couldn't even picture myself having sex with someone at the time. Now I can, like, I feel like I'm attracted to, like when I had my surgery, I started feeling attraction to women as well. That was like so weird. <laughs> I was like, now really, I don't have a penis and I feel attraction to women. So interesting. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I was mad that I never got a chance to have, uh, you know, that experience before I lost my penis, you know. And also the whole top and bottom thing, you know, just like I said that multiple times that like your sexuality is fluid. I feel yeah. like uh, some of us do know right of the bad that we're gay, you know, but we're attracted to opposite or same sex, whatever. Um, but some people, I guess, they do go through life. I don't know if they're like in the closet super or like it just comes over time, but I feel like some, it takes time to like experiment maybe or discover yeah. your sexuality. And it's that's why like, too, I, yeah. you know, it's like, especially for people who, who come out later in life and stuff, it's like, it's not an easy thing, you know? Yeah, I honestly did not know you guys were gay or bi, whatever. So, like, do you also think that like sexuality is fluid over time in terms of like bottom and top thing and versing, or is it like sad? Yeah. It's I, it depends. It depends on the person. Yeah, I don't know. I think you know there are definitely people who just they're going to be strict one way or the other, and maybe I don't know if, if it's because they tried the other and didn't like it. But I think that's kind of limiting. I don't think you should like put yourself in the box to say, "Oh." Right? I'm 
or I'm a bottom. You might know you prefer one over the other, but I think, you know, that's kind of boring, you know, to, to not experiment. But also, like, the thing about a lot of people that don't, so as a gay man of 39 about to turn 40, I've had a lot of anal sex oh my God, from both directions in my life. We're clipping that. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I'm trying to say what, like, my point is that anal sex is a very nuanced form of sex yeah. and it varies differently from vaginal sex. So vaginal sex, you don't need any lubricant. You don't need exogenous lubricant. Anal sex, you need lubricant. Yeah. Uh, anal sex, also the bottom wants to be as empty digestively as possible to to minimize any discomfort yeah. or any um you know what, what i will call slippage yeah. uh during during the actual you know event and so th it's a complicated thing and yeah. it's difficult there, there's, and there's it's still not... the like the disgust factor there for some people too especially you know men who have like that internalized homophobia still it's like i think they yes. just we view it that way but it's like look men do have a prostate um why is a mystery, right? I mean, but we do have it. Well, and, no, we know why the prostate exists. We don't know why pushing on the prostate from creates, inside the rectum creates a physically pleasurable sensation. Yes. But <laughs> that's what I meant. Okay. That's what I meant. So it's like, clearly, you know, there's something to that. And look, many, many gay and bisexual men who, who have anal sex will describe it as, as being, you know, like equally as important in a sense of bonding with the other partner as, you know, vaginal sex. You know, I'm not saying it's the only way to have sex. And there are, there are also plenty of gay men out there who don't have anal sex at all. Like they're not into that at all. They, you know, they do other things and that's what they're into. So it's definitely not the only way to do it, but it is, you know, it's, I think it's a valid way to have sex with it someone also, and to bond. It varies. And, it varies yeah. so much depending on the top and the bottom, yeah. on, on the relative size of your parts <laughs> connecting together. Yeah. <laughs> You know, depending on your digestive health or your internal, like your situation yes. down there, like a lot can be, a lot can be different. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation because that was one of the reasons that I had to bottom surgery because I just got tired, you know, <laughs> having to prepare for intimate moment. My dream, I got so brainwashed that I was a woman, you know, I thought like, that was my dream to like come home and spread my legs and have missionary sex <laughs> with vagina and not have to prepare for it or like having to carry lube or anything like that. And that was yeah. the whole point. Like granted, I knew that even if I had new vagina, I would have to use lubrication. <clears throat> but I thought at least like I wouldn't have to, you know, prepare for it and all that. Um, you know, cause you guys know, no matter how much you prepare, things can get messy. And sometimes it, it takes away from the experience of being relaxed. I'm glad we're having this conversation. I'm so bored of having like this yeah. over and over. Have these conversations because they're taboo things, you know, we're talking about sensitive private things, but I think, you know, you do have to kind of lay some of this stuff out on the table, especially when discussing the trans issues, you know, and maybe some of like the illusions that you're talking that people go into transitioning thinking it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be another you know right and till today i'm like um i still sometimes i know like i'm not getting my penis back so i'm like still hoping that maybe someday i'll be able to have missionary sex you know <laughs> with my front hole um yeah so like that's how it ended up even after everything i sacrificed i was not able to have like that type of sex <laughs> Yeah, yeah this so is perfect conversation for dangerous rhetoric, though. Like, is dangerous taboo stuff? So, yeah. <laughs> correct conversation right now. 
Right. And also, I do have a lot of young gays that are watching my channel and young um, trans-identifying individuals that haven't hopefully had the surgery yet. So they need to hear this, you know. I do have a lot of fanboys that are, like, have considered transitioning and desisted or, like, now realizing it's not maybe an option. So they're listening to these conversations, trying to still make up their mind. Yeah. I just had a desister the other day who's still thinking about transitioning because he's still experiencing, I guess, what we call gender dysphoria, dysphoria. you know. So he needs to hear all of this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, gay boys can love to get fucked. There's nothing wrong with that. We have a whole class of uh, wonderful bottoms, you know, from bitchy bottoms to bossy bottoms to uh, all, the, all kinds of bottoms. And they love getting fucked. They have no problem doing what they need to do to get it. And they love that they can still shoot a load out of their, you know, man parts when, when they're in the act. So at least that's been my experience. I think um, in gay scene, for sure, like when I was part of it, I mean, I'm, I'm still technically, I guess, part of it. But when I was, you know, more presenting as a dude, you know, as a twink, whatever, I felt like there just was unproportionately a high amount of bottoms to tops. <laughs> and <laughs> so I, feel like I think there's something to that. Right. And at the time, like, again, talk about fluidity of your sexuality. I was more of a bottom, you know, and it was the ultimate fantasy to get the most masculine, like, top. But yeah. those are, were very hard to come by. And a lot of them were in the closet. They would never, yes. like, claim you as, like, yep. <laughs> not that, like, once I transitioned, they were claiming me as a partner. But <laughs> it was definitely at behind closed doors opportunities for, uh more having the sex that I wanted went up, you know, as I feminized myself. So I felt like tranny chasers are part of gay comedians. Those are the missing ones. <laughs> the well, this, missing tops. <laughs> this is another thing that I kind of wanted to get into too. Now we're on the subject. It's like, you know, this idea of masculinity and that right. culturally, you know, the, the top or the man penetrating has definitely always been viewed in a less negative taboo light right. than the man who's receiving the man who's receiving is you know looked at as being in the role of the woman and looked at as less of a man you know and when you look at a lot of ancient cultures and how they deal with homosexuality we find this sort of stigma and i think it's only not it's, it hasn't been until modern times that we've started to kind of get rid of that stigma and like you're still a man like just because you prefer to be penetrated by another man doesn't mean you're any less of a man, you know? And I think, uh, you know, he's violating gender norms. Yes. And so, but I think, you know, you talk about the very masculine tops and stuff. And I think, you know, maybe deep down, some of them feel like they can only be the penetrating partner because if they're the other, then that somehow makes them less of a man, which is yeah. not true, of course. And that's internalized homophobia. Right? It is, it is, you know. And as somebody who had internalized homophobia for years, and I still do, um, I do remember that, you know, like when I was trans woman, when somebody asked me to top them, there was a point, like maybe a year before surgery, where I was like getting angry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a woman, I'm not going to use my penis. You know, it was just like, I got so brainwashed by trans community, but also hormones affected me as well. Wow. You know, it made me confused. It made me feel like... <laughs> 
like I was a legitimate woman. And um, yeah, I was also internalizing homophobia. I wanted only guys who did not want to like interact with my penis. And looking back, it was a lot of it internalized homophobia because I saw them as less of men if they wanted it up the ass, you know? But a lot of 90% of people, and that's the me is I want to go see a trans woman or actual dated trans woman that has a dick. They want to interact with the dick in some shape or form. So overall, the ratio of tops and bottoms was kind of the same. <laughs> But the men were more masculine presenting. That was the difference, I guess. <clears throat> the way they wanted to have sex proportionally was similar to gay scene, like straight up gay scene. There were more people who wanted it up the ass. That's how precise about it. But there were, I guess, more what you wouldn't know that they had those. They were, I guess that's kind of homophobic to say as well. But there were more masculine presenting. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think we, we understand uh, typical masculine and feminine mannerisms. And I think like, that's kind of like why I joke sometimes that I'm like, I can do a gender fluid Brentley because I can turn mm -hmm. on the, the gay and the femme <laughs> whenever I want. And I can just like bring it out and just be a little sassy sometimes. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, part of coming to terms with being gay is you do, or bisexual or whatever, is you do have to embrace that bit of your feminine side. It doesn't mean you have to like not present as masculine. Right. It means that when that sensitive side of you, that side of you comes out, there's no shame in it. You know, you accept it, you express it when right. it's appropriate, you know, and there's just like, Get we do, sassy. we do live in a culture still, I think that where it's like stigmatized for men to express emotion, to show their feelings. And, and I do think there's a time and place, like, let me be clear, you know, I, I don't think it's always becoming of a man to emote wear his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that. I do that, you know, sometimes, and I'm trying to reel that in. You're an artist. <laughs> I'm an artist. Like, it's like the, you know, the curse of the poet artist that. We're very like sensitive to everything. Okay, you're growing your thick skin. But you know, I think I think you know those boundaries are being knocked down. But it doesn't mean that that the gender roles don't mean anything or don't come from somewhere biologically. Or don't serve a purpose. Don't serve a purpose. And like, so I think you know, conservatives do have a point when they're trying to get back to the family values and those sorts of things. But folks like us don't totally fit in with the conservatives because we are gender non-conforming right and we do realize that those boxes even though they fit most people don't fit everyone and th and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that the problem is the radical types they're the ones imposing the stereotypes and they don't even yes. realize it you know they're saying like oh you know we got to get rid of these boxes and all that stuff but as soon as there's a gender non-conforming boy or a girl you immediately try to put them in the other box now right and that's what's happened with gender nonconformity. I feel like at this point, anybody who is gender nonconforming gonna get asked what their pronouns are, <laughs> or yeah. people are just gonna assume that they're at some in some form of transition from one yeah. direction to another. Am I not correct? Like that's what yeah. people are gonna when they when they could just be a gay man or or a and, lesbian. And this is more why, masculine. This you know? is why I have a problem with social transitioning of minors, which is like the one thing. This is like uh, again, it's the Mott and Bailey argument, or it's the give you an inch and they take a mile. Like they the basically if you push the activists they're like well what if what if you know we just let them change their name and change their style of dress and you know we just socially but we don't medically do anything and my problem with that is that that's the first step it's like you know it, that's the gateway drug to puberty blocking cross-sex hormones and surgeries so if you start with just gender you know transitioning them at a young age um, that's, that's where, you know, you lead into that pathway. And so that I have a problem with that, 
But, you know, if, if you want to do it and say, you know what, this is all you're going to get and you can't go no further until you're 18, you know, really it's up to the parent. But I think a big problem is we have a lot of the medical industry guiding these parents and telling these parents straight up lies. Like if you don't do this, your child is going to self-delete. And, you know, there's no evidence to support those statements. These doctors are just like lying to people left, right and center. And they're, they're not giving them full informed consent uh, to these surgical practices as your case demonstrates. They did not tell you the rates of complications or exactly what it'll be like afterward, largely in part because they don't know, for one, because everybody's experience is unique. Yeah. Um, but for number two, they just don't want to see any potential for negative outcome. And they continue to just herd people through the process, even when it's clear there's a problem. And, and you made that clear, very clear in your, your Blair White discussion. Well, also, the, these folks become cash cows for these industries afterward. It's like you're, you're basically going to be... Nobody wants to talk about that either. You're going to be on a cocktail of medications for the rest of your life. And you right. know, I'm, I'm seeing more and more, not just detransitioners talk about that, but I'm seeing more trans adults who settled into their transness and, and aren't detransitioning also speaking out about this and saying, look, I did transition as an adult and all this, here's why this is not for kids. And they pull up their giant, their giant bin of medication. Yeah, that was a TikTok video we you saw. Know? I saw a couple. Right. Yeah, we saw that I saw too. Few, I saw a few of those like that, you know, right. and, and there are more and more trans identifying adults agreeing with us and speaking out. And this is the thing, like, it's so funny when we talk about this stuff and people accuse us of being transphobes and all that. Like we had Sarah Higdon on the show I would sit down and break bread with Sarah Higdon any day. I am not phobic at all to someone who is an adult and transitions. It's not the issue here. This is about protecting kids, you know, and especially the, gay and lesbian gay kids and lesbian who are gender non-conforming, bisexual, all that stuff. And like right. these, these trans adults also who are rational, they're realizing, and by rational, I mean, they know they're just appearing as the other sex, that they actually aren't that. They're rational. They also understand this is reflecting badly on them too. And it isn't going to help them. It's just going to create more backlash. The conservatives who don't like them already definitely aren't going to like them the more they see this stuff happening to kids. And it's just going to make them flee further and further and further into their conservatism. And it's not helping them, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, that was it was going so well. I'm like so happy with this discussion. It's like so different from all other interviews I had, you know. Yeah, well, so we're, we're grateful. We were striving for that. I was yeah. like, you know, I just want to have like a conversation about the issues with shape and not so much like dwell on yeah. tasks. Well, we didn't want to dwell too much on the on the shit you went through, you know, because you've probably gone over that a million times before. And with, with that said, with that said, you know, I think I want to move in out of that a bit, you know. We've had our, our friend Laura on here before. Um, she's another detransitioner, but she she's a woman. And, you know, one of the things we talked to her about is like, like not wanting to just get pigeonholed as like the detrans person. And that just, that becomes who you are as a person and all that stuff. And although it's important, you're speaking out about this stuff, but like, who are you as an individual? Who are you as a human being? Like what are right. shapeshifters? <laughs> passions and interests and things that, that that have nothing to do with any of this. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you bring this up because I just had two detransitioners on my channel and I kind of froze up. I couldn't interview them because 
it was first of all it was like i could just sense their pain because they were transitioning yeah. and i froze up you know i just couldn't ask them any questions because and i didn't want to because i didn't want to trigger anything and i started asking some questions to get to know some other people because when I, I i just came out as the transitioner i was invited to so many like interviews and nobody asked me like what do you like to do <laughs> who yeah. are you as a person it was just like when did you start taking hormones like yeah no we, we immediately knew we didn't want it to just be yeah. that you know like humanize these people you know like you're a person you have other things going on for you other things that are interesting to you that have nothing to do with the stuff you've been through you know right yeah i i grew up like liking mass and physics you know i was typical i guess what would it consider it boyish? Like right. I know it's a stereotype. Yet another stereotype. Girls yeah. can like science too. Yeah. But I used to, uh, I like I like to play chess. Uh, I like watching documentaries. Same. I'm a pothead. I'm not on any SSRI, so I try <laughs> to like uh, you know medicate myself with weed and shrooms. Um, I'm advocate, I guess, for psychedelics because I feel like they saved my life. If it wasn't for them, I would definitely be on a high dose of SSRIs. I still struggle with my mental health. So there is days when I want to fight, be part of this fight, you know, gender slash sex wars and whatever, like this community is gender critical. I know some of them don't, some of us don't identify as gender critical, but it's kind of a community. We're all fighting to like stop medicalization of kids. Like we have that goal in common. <clears throat> So yeah, sometimes I have my good days when I want to do all that, be on Twitter, print screen stuff, post it. <laughs> There's days when I don't want to get out of bed and I cry. I had one of the bad mental health days yesterday when I was just crying because sometimes reality hits you that I was lied to, you know, by my doctors <laughs> about who I am, you know, about where I belong in society, you know. <laughs> and um, it's just like, I realized no matter what I do, I'm not getting back my genitals. And that's really a traumatic thought to realize sometimes, you know, and sometimes I do stress into activism to kind of take away my pain and not think about what happens. Um, I feel like the transition, even though all I did is just literally tell people that I'm a man. So like, I don't have many friends, you know, cause I'm antisocial in general. I don't like like having friends because I just feel like you have to talk to them. You have to like do things with them. And I, growing up, I didn't have friends. So to me, it's my normal. Like I have social anxiety. I'm antisocial person. I'll talk to people online, but I don't like hanging out in person. Um, honestly, well, if, if, if you're ever in New York city, we would love to hang out with you. <laughs> You. yeah i appreciate it <laughs> but like in i think it took away a lot of my confidence you know seeing sometimes trans women that still have their dicks you know which most of them do you know i just see how confident they are and part of it is testosterone because once you're castrated as a man you get more anxiety actually <laughs> i don't know how the hell this edith saw that somebody who struggled with depression anxiety they cut off their testosterone which is known to help yeah treat anxiety and depression that is so dumb like how the fuck so did they do that i was already growing up i was an emotional kid when people would bully me in school i would cry right away you know and people were like oh you're a girl you're a girl like you're not a real man and the treatment for that to make me more of a girl, make me more emotional, make me more attached to people. Like, are you fucking kidding me? That makes yeah. no sense. Well, <laughs> it, it goes to show how, you know, I think at the root of a lot of the trans stuff is is homophobia, is... 100% and I bought into it. Facing that as a child and, like, being confused and instead of, like, being reassured, like, hey, you are still a boy, even if you're more emotional, even if you like other boys. Instead of growing up in, in an environment that kind of could reassure them, 
when you grow up in an environment that just represses that and hides that, it's why I think we, we see all the promiscuity and the drug addiction and all of this stuff. And it creates that vicious cycle because then we get stigmatized for that behavior, which creates more homophobia. And then it's just a vicious cycle. You know, we don't have a normal upbringing. We don't get to court people in the same way when we come of age. Yeah, you know, puberty, for, have, like, puberty for homosexuals is vastly different and than you go, it's like for straight people. And you mostly go through it alone. You know, I, I forgot who we were having this discussion with, um, but they were talking about like, you know, for example, if you're black, it's obvious. People can see right. it. You know, and you're going to have mentors and people that you can identify who are also that way that you can turn to and be like, well, hey, I'm going through these very particular issues and they can guide you through that. When you're gay, you go through all of that inside, alone, hidden, and you don't know who to turn to for the most part. Things are a little different now, you know, and obviously it depends on where in the country you are, you know, how accepting or not accepting they're going to be. But it's still very much a problem. Like or where in the world. Or where in the world, you know. Places that will still kill you for being gay. Sure. You know, so like homophobia is still real and it's still a problem, you know. And and, and doesn't mean like we excuse any bad behavior coming from the LGBT community. It doesn't mean we excuse, you know, the drug issues and the promiscuity and those those things. I think we do got to keep ourselves in check. But the more we don't address the actual homophobia that is still around, I think the more we're going to see kids getting pushed into the trans stuff. Because right. Honestly, once I had the surgeon, I went out dating. When when people say, oh, I don't want to sleep with like a trans woman, they're not like thinking of subcategories of, of a woman. <laughs> they still see you as a man. You know, that's the reality. You know, when they say like they're not being transphobic, it's just what it is, I guess. I don't want to even call it homophobia. It's just like a sexual preference, I guess. But it's like when they don't want to be around trans women, they don't want to be around effeminate gay men, really. And I know there is like some straight men that transition, but like that's a whole another subject where just yeah, like auto, auto, <laughs> yeah, autogynophilia and things like that. And that's another thing too that's not discussed enough that right that those people are, are there too you know there are the ones right. who maybe aren't really experiencing what we would call like gender dysphoria but are more experiencing a form of like a like a fetishization like they get turned on by the idea of of appearing as the other sex and we find this particularly amongst men for sure who are becoming women but it's the same thing like we see it among women too um who say grow up watching like anime and like yaoi and things like that and like mm -hmm. they start to fetishize being a gay man and this is another thing like we talked to our friend laura about because she went through this she you know when she was younger she found like she was having more emotional attachments to gay men and was more attracted to them than to straight men but they didn't want to be with her and so part of her transition and identity crisis was she wanted to become a gay man to sleep with gay men and then found that they didn't want to do with her still because they're gay men, you know, they're homosexuals. So, oh my god, this is so yeah. crazy. Yeah, sometimes it's just fascinating to me because I did everything to ID myself out of homosexuality and not have to carry that label till the rest of my life, you know, and knowing that somebody wanted to ID themselves into it. Like, it's it's crazy, right? Because, like, we, we went through like a whole process growing up of trying to come to terms with being that, which was hard for us. So it is really weird to see people like actually wanting to like become opt that. into <laughs> it. Like opt into it. It's like, wait, are you sure? 
Regardless, I just feel like I wish I had more time to grow into my manhood. <laughs> I know people like, I have a lot of trans women watching my channel, like hate watching and some of them are just curious. <laughs> They're going to be triggered by that. But yeah. like, I wish I had more time to grow into my manhood. And I know people like save the kids, save the kids. And I want to save the kids. But there's also a lot of homophobic people who will say a bunch of homophobic shit. And then be like, we're doing all this to save the kids, you know, and you can just, as somebody who grew up gay, we can tell when it's homophobia and when it's people who are concerned for kids. Like, and I think it became like, what pisses me off sometimes I want to quit activism and because we're in such small minority right now, we're a country culture, we almost have to align with people who we know are homophobic. Like, yeah. come on, Matt Walsh is homophobic. Like, I can just sense that. Like, <laughs> results a little nuggets. And I know a lot of people. Very, very Catholic, conservative, traditional. Yeah. If it was up to him, he would wave a wand and he would have all men wear suits and all the women wear like dresses that hits the floor, yeah. you know? But, but that's not where, where it's going. Like, that's not where society is going. And I, I feel like, um, and I appreciate him doing what what is a woman, like documentary and all that. Like, I do appreciate certain things he's done, exposing Vanderbilt. But <laughs> it doesn't take away the fact that we don't align all of the things, you know? Which is, you know, I'm, I'm starting to realize is. It's fine. You know, I think as long as we are able to hold our position and call Matt out on his things, we can still address the things about him that we agree with and that we find are helpful. But yeah, you're right. It, it is kind of weird that we do have to align with some people who probably aren't ever going to like us for who right. we are. But I think the kids are the priority right now. And, you know, I, I am willing to some capacity to ally with Matt Walsh if it means at least protecting kids from being harmed from this stuff, you know? But yeah, it's, it's, it is weird. <laughs> it's a good yeah, way. I saw yesterday, Andrew Tate video where he was like, oh, I understand that some of you gays like just don't want to sleep with a woman, but don't push your, like something like that. Don't come for our kids. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I understand. Yes. Nobody should be coming for kids period in any shape or form, but like, I could just sense this person things that we just opted out of having sex with women, you know, <laughs> because yeah. apparently gay lifestyle was more fun or something. Yeah, or, or they lump us all together with the actual predators who who are in the LGBT community. They they are yeah. there, and we know they're there. And this is why Brent and I kind of started the show. It was one of the reasons we did is we saw we saw that they were there, and we felt. You know, a lot of a lot of people in the quote unquote LGBT community don't want to address the predators in it because they think it furthers that stigma that we spent so long trying to get rid of. So they and don't we, talk about they it. They don't talk about it. We have the opposite view. We feel that by not discussing it, by not addressing them, by it not makes it more likely by not separating yourself from that and yeah. saying, well, that does not represent all of us. You are furthering that stigma again, and it, it is more likely that the Andrew Tates and the Matt Walshes and stuff are just going to lump us all together because they're going to assume your silence is compliance. They're going to assume that by you not saying anything about it, you just think it's not happening or you're okay with it. Right. And same, that's why I came forward as well, because I stayed silent for years. I mean, I didn't when I posted that video, but honestly, nobody cares. The trans community like gaslit me and just told me like, oh, you're just 1% of these complications. And of course. So for years, I thought that was the case. I was still defending ideology. It's, <laughs> funny, it's funny when the trans activists like to talk down to D-trans activists because they, they claim that D-trans people are a small percentage of the total number of trans people when it's just like they have no self-awareness it's like honey trans people are a small percentage of the total number of people 
And, you know, that's why we give you guys special protections and considerations. So if anything, you should be giving special protections and considerations to the D trans minority within your group for the same reason that yeah. you claim to be a protected minority in, in the larger culture. <laughs> No, honestly, this breaks my heart because the transitioners, like I was just talking to the trans kids, she doesn't even know like where to seek help to get consultation for her breast reconstruction because she had her breast removed and like she, people don't know how to get their endosystem together. We're just left to our own devices to share information between yeah. us, which is yes. also not super safe. It's all, it's all uncharted territory, like you said. But, how do we trust doctors once they're already let us down on their way in, you know? It's just yeah. crazy because, like, you get you go through this process, and then as soon as something goes wrong or you change your mind because of complications... They gaslight and victim blame. And they throw you yeah. out. They don't want anything to do with you anymore, and they, they have no interest in Which helping Which is so you. cluster B. It is so, like, typical of how the narcissist treats uh, his victims. You know, you are a useful object to them as long as you are in the good graces and you are uh, you're making them look good. Yeah. But as soon as you don't do that anymore, as soon as you're not affirming their meaning, you know, you as the patient, you know, they, they, they look to you to affirm their, you know, use and utility as a gender transitioning surgeon. And as soon as you stop doing that and say, I have a problem, you know, this isn't working out for me. They just dismiss you and discard you like, like, you know, yesterday's news. Yeah. And that's what happened with KC. Yeah, he, all he said is just like, I kept on taking testosterone because I thought eventually I will reach that gender euphoria everybody claims to have. <laughs> that's all he said. And he didn't say he was detransitioning officially or anything like that. And people just like took that one video and ran with it and just completely trashed him. He never said he felt ugly or anything like that. He just stated facts like this is what happened, you know? <laughs> That's what they do, though. They lie and they attack. And this is kind of what we're experiencing with the DR, uh, the DR channels, yeah. because we've, you know, recently been in this space a lot more. You know, I went up to Burlington, Vermont, and we did a collaboration with the Disaffected podcast where we sort of live streamed and uh, taped a protest by Fred Sargent, who we had also had on the show. Fred Sargent was one of the original Stonewall rioters. Oh, uh, yeah, I know him, the one that got pushed on the floor, right? Yes. Yeah. We had him, and so after he got pushed on the floor and assaulted, we went back to Burlington, and the or, a lot of the, the this group, Outright Vermont, that was uh, responsible primarily for the assault on Mr. Sargent, uh, they had a fundraiser. And the fundraiser was, was a fire truck pull. Basically, you get teams together to pull a fire truck down the street and you raise money. The money goes to the organization, Outright Vermont, which was using it to further the social and uh, you know gender transitioning of minors. So we went with a bunch of people. We had a small group of maybe 10 people, and we did a little protest there. Mostly gay men, by the way. Mostly gay yeah, men. Although they, they had this illusion in their head that, that they, we were like white, Christian, yeah. conservative, straight people. <laughs> Because, like, I think some of them can't even, like, acknowledge that there are gay people out there who completely disagree with this this approach, you know? Even in, in media, too, when they talk about Josh or, or anybody, they say that we identify as gay. Yeah, what the hell is that? That's, <laughs> that is basically saying that we are, we're pretending. Yeah, that we're pretending or that we, like, <laughs> like honey, chose this. That is, that's literal homophobia. Like, yes. that's real homophobia. Classic homophobia. So I, we've had the, these these troons, these local activists from the Burlington community, have found my Twitter page and started reporting stuff. And so I got my Twitter account locked, 
And now we have an old episode, uh, episode 62 with Dr. Mark Changizi was recently pulled and, and we have our second strike on YouTube now for medical misinformation. Yes. Because I guess we were, I'm not sure, I'd have to go back and yeah. actually watch the episode. But that, even that's crazy that they're still cracking down on, on people talking about the jabs and all that stuff. At the behest of the federal government, a clear violation of 1A. Yeah, actual fascism right there. I mean, we're not going to delve deeply into that here in this episode, but, you know, we do recommend people to go on our website and watch that conversation, that second one, especially with Dr. Mark Changizi, because clearly there are things we spoke about in there that the powers that be don't want you to hear. You might like that too, shit, because Dr. Mark is hot. He is hot. (laughs) He's a hottie. Shout out to Mark. Yeah. I actually, I don't know if I can say that on camera, but like I did talk to somebody recently who has, I never actually met somebody who's like, he told me that he's still having like side effects from the vaccine. And he also stopped like after I think second one, he stopped because he still has like tingly fingers or something. Like something is happening with him that wasn't there before after the vaccine. And um, I don't think he's making it up. Like (laughs) just putting it out there as anecdotal examples, anecdotal examples, somebody I know in real life who told me. Honestly, I feel like, you know, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's very similar to the detransitioner experience. People that are having side effects and complications are being maligned by the medical industry. They're being ignored. They're being censored. Um, They're being dismissed. You know, we had a lot, there were, there was a lot of, uh, a brouhaha months and months ago, a Senator Ron Johnson, I believe his name is from Wisconsin, I want to say he's a Republican. He had some hearings where he invited uh, people who had side effects um, after after their, their injections. And he had invited them to Capitol Hill to speak and to you know give their experience. And YouTube censored the conversation. They pulled it off the internet because it was a violation of the COVID-19. Yeah, one, one of them was uh, this marathon biker. I can't remember his name. Actually, I would love to get him on the show and talk to him. God, his story is so sad. But he like he got so much backlash for that you know that he was one of the first people to really get some public attention for having a negative consequence and he made this heartbreaking video on instagram where he talked about like i'm just i'm really struggling with my mental health right now i didn't expect people would be so vicious and mean for me yeah. just telling his story what happened to me wow. you know and i need to just take a break from all this and step away i mean the guy was crying you and know it's this very is, and like it's, it's like, very similar to the transitioner experience or yeah similar. i almost quit too. The, the trans <laughs> who speak out against the gender ideology. I quit already, like once I was like, I'm leaving because I got put on blast by this other like creator on YouTube, Maya Henry. And I was like, I had all her little minions come for me. Oh, I'm just a gay man wearing woman face and I'm just like a drag queen and like, this and not come for a real trans woman. I'm like, what is real trans woman? Can we have please strict definitions and then use those <laughs> definitions to like sift out all the super feminine gender non-conforming gay man <laughs> that are not real trans so can't that's, give a, answers, but that's like, a logical so fallacy that's a logical fallacy called no true scotsman too yeah no, saying, no, you're no. not you're not a real trans woman no that's just that's just another cheap ad hominem personal attack so that they don't have to engage you on the ideas in good faith that they can just learn you and dismiss you yeah, so much hate that like I almost quit. I cried on camera. I was like, I'm yeah. quitting. I can't do this anymore. And my partner wants me to quit because he's just worried for my mental health. It's a lot. There would be like 80 positive comments. You guys know how it is to be on yeah. social media. And you'll get that one comment that will like, and I have OCD, you know, but like get stuck in my head. Yeah, fixed it on it, yeah. You know, people will say, 
especially somebody who has body dysmorphia, you know, people say like, yes. oh, your teeth are crooked. Even though they may not be crooked, like <laughs> I keep on running, oh my God, do I need a misalign? Do I need to make... <laughs> you yeah, know, I mean, like, yeah. people telling me like, oh, uh, go get a misalign and straighten your teeth. And it's like, <laughs> they send me like attachments <laughs> of misalign pictures and stuff. <laughs> you really, you just, you, you have, just to, have to ignore yeah. it. You have to, it's hard though, you it's, know, and yeah. for some people it, it might be a and little if you need to take, if you need to take breaks, take breaks, take breaks. Yeah. I tried to, I took like a weekend break, but then I saw what was happening with Casey Miller and I had to jump right back in. Yeah. You know? That's the other thing. It's like, I think there's always, there's always an emergency. As people with the conscience and as people who are really seeing what's going on and are actually deeply concerned Concern, it's hard for us to take breaks because I think we almost feel obligated to speak out about this stuff, especially when you see how many people are afraid to. And I think, you know, we know that the more of us who do speak out, it does give others courage. You know, that's might, why they try might, to censor yeah, us. So that's much. why they try to censor us because they know. And I think ultimately, you know, the more they try to censor, the more they try to silence our voices, we got to get louder. You know, we got to get tougher and we got to stand firm and, and, and who we are and just, you know what? Like, no, I know who I am. I know why I'm doing this. I'm not going to let you shut me up. But take breaks. You know, yeah, we know, we know <laughs> for a fact breaks. that social media is not good for mental health. Yeah. And it's especially not good for people who have anxiety or, uh, you know, obsessive compulsive, you know, uh, leaning disorders yeah. or, or tendencies. So you got to you got to monitor yourself. You got to yeah. be real careful with it. I'm lucky. I have really, really low neurotic tendencies. I'm the opposite. He's the opposite. So he needs to take more breaks than I yeah, do. Yeah, I've had a couple meltdowns on Twitter already. And I'm just like, all right, deactivate. And just I'm like, Daniel, turn it off. I'm like, let me step off Twitter. Let me step away for a second, you know, because it can be very overwhelming, you know, very overwhelming. And people, people also like normal people out there, people every day, anonymous people, they have no idea what it's like to be subject to a Twitter pylon or any sort of, you know, coordinated social media attack from multiple people. Yeah. As soon as you know, you get flagged in somebody's group chat for being a wrong thinker, the horde fucking descends upon you, and it's. Like, <laughs> You know, your account's being reported. You're getting all these negative comments. Yep. You're like, what did I do? They start putting you on a list and then they <laughs> put you on blast in their group chats and all yep. this stuff. Yeah. And then, and then they, they all take their yeah. turn and they all have five accounts. You know, it's not just, and then that's the, the other thing is that these, these people are real crazy. They've got multiple accounts so that they can make it, you know, three people can make it look like you're under an attack from a dozen or more. Yep. And it, it's not, you know, it's, it's not real. It's yeah. not real. It's a hall of mirrors amplified that, by social media. That's what happened to me in in 2020 when I started speaking out against the lockdowns and the mandates and stuff. Like I had a couple former students because I used to be a substitute teacher for like five years. And I know they were former students because they they knew who I, you know, they knew my name. They called me Mr. Delafay, all this stuff like that. I know. And they made it seem like there was a lot of them but it was just like these burner accounts. So I could tell it was probably only like two, three people, maybe four, but it made it seem like there was like a whole horde of these people. And they just kept coming into my DMs and messages like you're killing people, you're putting them at risk, you're racist. You know, why are you saying all this stuff, this and this and that? Like, I used to like you. I thought you were the coolest teacher, blah, 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 blah. Anything to try to like just rip me down and make me feel like like I was a horrible person. You know, and I would respond to some of them and just put them on blast in my stories and stuff. And they're like, why are you arguing with a bunch of kids? That's not mature of you. I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know who any of you are. 
as far as I'm concerned, you're just anonymous people on the internet. And if you're going to talk to me like adults and try to act like adults, I'm going to respond to you like an adult and I'm going to put your ass in blast. So eventually they did stop. You know, I started just blocking them and blocking them and blocking them. But that, that concept of like the burner accounts, having multiple accounts, like they can very much make it seem like there's more of them than there really are, you know, when really it's probably just a small minority. And I think Twitter in general and social media is creating this illusion that these radical types are en masse, that they are the dominant group in our culture right now. And then when it's we, not true, when we also know? consider that the, like, I call it corporate, um, like the establishment, uh, the world economic forum types, you know, the, 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 the Bill Clinton and George Soros types corporate, they want those ideas advanced. Yeah. So they slant the system in favor of it. And they make it really easy for them to propagate, you know, their nonsense, their ideas and their, their actual hate in a lot of cases, because they do, you know, gang stalking, cyber stalking and cyber bullying. And they, uh, you know, downregulate normal people who are trying to speak the truth. Yeah. And I, which leads me to believe, honestly, I do think most people, one, are politically moderate. And we talked about this with Adam on our last episode, but also I think most people do agree with our positions or would agree with our positions if they actually truly knew or if understood here, a good faith elaboration of the idea. or knew or even understood what was going on, because right. I'm convinced that a lot of people still don't even actually know, you know, even the lefties, you know, we get a lot of people who refuse to believe anyone under the age of 18 is being transitioned yeah. medically when jazz Jennings was literally on TV, you know, it's like to them, it's just not happening. So I feel like, you know, if, if we really got down to it and talked to people, maybe on a private personal le level, you would find that I'm pretty sure most of them do agree with our positions, but the ones who know and see they're, they're scared of that cancel mob. They're scared of their job being contacted. They're scared of losing friends and family, which frankly, those aren't real friends. If they're going to cut you off for talking about this stuff. It's a whole nother. Yeah, yeah. so, coming out as a man, even though like I look the same, I, my, I, I, that's what I was saying. Like, I don't have many friends, but some of my exes are my friends, you know, and they kind of like stop talking to me because they just like, they want me to carry that label, you know, <laughs> of like being a woman. And it's like, they think I'm crazy for just like saying that I'm a man online, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. I love, like, and my family kind of distance themselves from me as well because they just can't understand. They obviously see that like, yeah. they support me through transition, but now I'm saying I'm a man. They're like, well, you look like a woman. So like, just keep on living as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> like they almost want me to like keep on leaving like as a woman you know that's interesting how like they yeah. could have, you know the understanding while you were going through the process but now they can't have that same sort of understanding when you you know admit that that it was a mistake for you it's yeah it's a bad. mistake but just like casey miller i just have to sing rational yeah. like I don't think I can ever go back because I just don't have, I'll look like F2M, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm going to be naked. I'm going to look like F2M. <laughs> you had a tweet the other day, something like, you know, I forgot what you said. It was something like, all I can really do now is, you know, make what I, what I can out of the body I still have. Yeah. Yeah, it's like literally, uh, I'm I'm feeling like I have to make something out of my life, and it feels like I'm making something out of leftovers, <laughs> both my original blueprint and like, and my body. I just feel like testosterone was giving me more like male experience, and again, these are just stereotypes. But I felt like testosterone made me lust for guys more, so it wanted me to go out and be more of a hunter, <laughs> you know, make yeah. something happen. Was estrogen i wanted to nest more i wanted a guy to protect me and provide for me and i feel like that was like 
rude awakenings that a lot of guys nowadays don't want to be providers. <laughs> they just want to like F you and move on, you know? <laughs> and that's the reality. And like, so yeah, now like I have both hormones in my system. So I'm all kinds of confused. I'm engaged yeah. about to get married, but I'm like questioning if it's just estrogen that's making me want to nest, you know? <laughs> also why like, uh, like gay relationships and, and, you know, just relationships between men, testosterone, testosterone pairings can be rather complicated because sometimes one might want to be more nurturing, but that might change from week to week, you know? And there's very much like a, like a balance you kind of have to find between nurturing, but also being the breadwinner, but then being nurtured again and allowing allowing yourself to do that without feeling like less of a man, but also, you know, you are still a man and there's that testosterone in you that does want to, to right. protect her and hunt, hunt and, <laughs> and things. We just watched uh, The Northman oh, the other so day. Good. I know, I watched it the other day. Oh my God, it's so like, I just wanted to go out. I told us telling Daniel before we got on that we should just get some like broadswords and go up to the roof and just like, ah, like slam like metal into each other and just record that because that'd be some fun content. It'd also be great exercise. Yeah, and honestly, like that girl was from Queen's Gambit. I didn't even clock that yes, till yes, yes. the movie. I'm actually was, very familiar. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. I was trying to figure out where I had seen her before, and that's mm -hmm. what she was saying. Right, I know. I didn't clock that till like almost then. I was like, wow, like <laughs> I enjoyed that show too. And like, yeah, I really like that show. I usually don't watch like movies that much, but like that was really good. Well, you you're into chess. You like chess. Right, yeah, I did watch Queen's Gambit and Huntsman. I like accidentally watched it, whatever. As Norseman, not Huntsman, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was really good as well. I wish it didn't die at the end, but of course, like they had to make it dramatic and stuff. Yeah, it's tragic, you know, it's a tragedy, but it's also it's cool. has that you know, it's actually a bittersweet ending. It's because... basically Viking Hamlet, yeah, it's Viking Hamlet, yeah, <laughs> same story, but story also, I, just, I love the portrayal of masculinity in its like all its like forms it's most primal you but really also see... like it's most like noble oh well, yeah you see like the darkest sides of it with betrayal and like brutality the wife yeah. and and murder slavery and yeah. slavery and then you see like the opposite with like this you know self-sacrifice in order to protect protect the next generation and you know the bearer of that so he he sacrifices himself in the end to make sure that his wife and his line continues yeah. which is a very very like it, it's the you could say it's the essence of masculinity in a way you know men yeah. <laughs> for, for, forever you know men have been the providers and protectors and we were you know our lives once we've planted the seed we are you know evolutionarily disposable we can you know so if we can sacrifice ourselves in order to assure the protection of the next generation then you could say in a way that we have succeeded as men yeah, at least I, archetypically. I just love that. Like half the film is just big burly men screaming, screaming. Like animals. <laughs> I used to watch Spartacus. Yes. Yeah, so hot. Like not that many people watch that show, but it was like so underrated. Uh, yeah, really good. <laughs> tragic too. The the actor I think from the first season ended up passing. Yeah, he passed away. Um, but honestly, like it was kind of in a way low budget because yeah. like the way they did Forest and Blood, it was like so fake. But it didn't take away from the show because like the actors are good and they kind of like carried the acting. Yeah, it was great. It goes to show though that like you know you can have something that's 
visually stunning and have all this amazing <laughs> special effects like Rings of Power, for example. But then if the writing sucks, if the characters are flat, like matter. none of that matters. And then the flip side of it, you could, you know, have crappy special effects and all that stuff. But if the writing is solid and the characters are believable, people are going to like it more and be Yeah, I was living for it. I remember like people saying, you send nothing but drama and then like puts a nice really <laughs> <laughs> I, I was curious. So I just recently got Disney Plus because I changed my Verizon plan. So now I have free Hulu and free Disney Plus. And so we watched the new Hocus Pocus or tried to watch the new Hocus Pocus. I walked night. out of the room and saw some of it. It was sure. so bad. <laughs> so oh, my God. The writing was terrible. Like, it's just I can't even from from the girl boss stuff to like almost apologizing for the witches being you know these like murderous child eaters. yeah like what is that they're in supposed the to be the villains I, everything about it was wrong i mean as far as i i, I will just in forever only acknowledge the first one but it was almost as bad as the craft did you see the new the craft no, I watched The Ring of Power recently, and it was kind of good at times, but it was also cheesy at times. Like, I feel like they could have done better. I, initially, I thought they were trying to go for younger crowd, but then they had some violent scenes where people's arms were breaking off. I'm like, which show am I watching? Like, I like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like they should have edited, like, graphic violence out and make it more for teenagers right. that adults can still enjoy. But that kind of confused me. You know, on one hand, like, they're trying to be this magical and cute, and then you have violence. I don't know. I was a little confused. I didn't know, like, which way to take it. It had some good moments, but it was, like, not 100%. They didn't 100% get me there. Like, I don't know. Yeah. when fireflies died and they all cried like over a dead firefly, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> like literally, she like cried instantly from like one dead firefly. <laughs> like, honey, it's an insect, right? Yeah, I, I don't think I'm gonna do Rings of Power. I think I'm gonna just keep it. like, I'm sorry, I don't want to see Galadriel in armor swinging a sword. I don't. She's yeah. a sorceress, and I'm not saying it's because like women can't be that type of character we had Eowyn in, in the yeah, original Lord exactly. of the Rings takes the helmet off I am no man kills, the, kills the, Witch King. the Witch King so it's like we had that character ready the point of Galadriel was she was more the the um, you know powerful divine feminine in its most pure feminine form like she used she magic could get into your head her charm she could speak she right? was seductive her beauty her charm her magic that was where her power was she didn't have to swing a sword or wear arm armor to be powerful and she was already feared and viewed as a very powerful scary character in her femininity it's almost like they so, transitioned her in a way yeah it's like, but know, right? have you noticed i was noticing that too i feel like yeah. younger people are gonna watch that and also gonna want to cross dress i guess <laughs> wears the armor and stuff like that's they, made, I, they try to make her like a joan of arc type or yeah, whatever that was heroin we already had that in the original lord of the rings so i don't understand why we had to take a character like galadriel who was already perfectly fine and powerful in their own way with magic femininity all that stuff and try to make them a caricature of, of a man it's just it's so backwards you know for these people who talk about like the you know putting everything in boxes and stuff like they conform to the equality typical like you know like th this is the thing about equality or equality between the sexes that people don't like to talk about is that 
you know, if we're going to be equal, then we have to equally value the positives and negatives, negatives. of both sexes. Yes. And women are the weaker sex, yes, but they are also, they mature faster. They are seductive. Their power is in their speech. You know, and historically, we totally forget and evolutionarily, we forget that women choose the men who will be the fathers of the next generation. Yeah. And so, you know, there's this weird concept of just like, like totally unappreciative of the seductive and the uh, mystique of, of the feminine yeah, well, woman. Well, you said weaker, and this is the thing, like physically. Physically yes. weaker. But there are different I'm kinds of When you said that, I'm like, I'm going to get cancer. There's different kinds of strength, you know. There's yes. physical strength is only one sort of strength. You know, there's no. emotional strength. There's but, all types of strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to attest to that because once I lost my testosterone, I feel so weak and brain fog. Like, I can't lift things. I mean, and I know I never became a real woman, but testosterone what gives strength to a lot of men you know <laughs> and that fearlessness you know in a lot of cases i'm not saying again we're generalizing we're talking like in general <laughs> but yeah you're right i do feel weaker and i do feel like unprotected kind of and my body knows that that i've been altered like no matter yeah. how much testosterone i take and that's like i have this unique experience to share that a lot of people don't talk about i know now that like my there's body almost there's always something you know and i'm not trying to like you know, fetishize your trauma or whatever, but there is almost something beautiful about the fact that you do kind of have that experience. You know, you, you do, you know, a bit what it's like to be a woman. Obviously you're never going to know what it's like to be a woman because you're not, but you have, a unique, <laughs> you have a unique perspective. And I think, you know, trans, D trans in general, people who've gone through that do have a unique perspective and something we, we can learn from, you know? And I think trans community, I guess we should wrap this up shortly, but like, sure. I think in general, like um, when going into transition, I just didn't realize, like, I also saw that estrogen was for TDs and ass, you know? <laughs> uh, and I hated testosterone. I got so brainwashed. I'm like, oh, that's a stupid chemical that made me go through male puberty, you know, and develop, like, secondary male characteristics that make me pass less, you know? <laughs> but I didn't understand that testosterone had all those benefits, you know? And estrogen was more than just TDs and ass, you yeah. know? And it's like, I think that's what kids need to understand. But I think sometimes, can you even understand that and comprehend that if you haven't lived a few years, you know? <laughs> As an adult, you know? And got to your late 20s or 30s i don't think so because sometimes you just really need time to figure out how this reality works you know i think ultimately you know just back to the point brent was making i guess we can end on this point you know there are strengths that women have that men typically don't and there are strengths that men have that women typically don't you know and like you said both sexes have their toxic traits and issues that they have to contend with there is toxic femininity just as there is toxic masculinity but there's also divine masculinity and divine femininity and, you know both have their strengths both have their weaknesses and there's nothing wrong with that we can address that you know we can complement each other that's the whole point that's how we've managed to survive historically is by acknowledging the strengths and weaknesses of each other and then trying to complement one another but yeah. when you have a bunch of crazies with cluster b personality disorders trying to hijack the conversation yes. it creates a problem 
Right. And also, like, I guess I wanted to ask you one question because I don't have many opportunities to talk to gay men who had, like, similar experiences to mine growing up. Um, and this may be a loaded question, but a lot of people tell me that I'm gay because of childhood trauma. But I feel like I was gay before childhood trauma. <laughs> what is your stance on it? Because you probably know a lot of gay people. Like, I kind of transitioned on my own. And once I transitioned, I never, like, associated with gay scene or even trans scene. I've been to gay club once in my life. I Because I was so homophobic. Like, you know, once I started transitioning, I kind of cut myself out from the like, gay community. So what do you have to tell to those people? Because I have those arguments with those people all day long. I mean, I'll go first just because my experience is definitely different than Brent's. I was never very immersed in the gay community. Um, okay. Most of my friends growing up were straight. It wasn't until later in life, actually until meeting Brent, that I had more gay friends. And actually, I have more gay friends now since being gender critical and speaking out about this stuff mm -hmm. than before, which is ironic. But, you know, I never quite felt I fit into that scene either. And I still don't feel like I fit into it. But also, you know, I haven't, I've embraced myself as a gay man, and it's been a long journey there. Um, where it comes from, I think that question is still up in the air. I think like most things, it's a mixture of nature and nurture. I'm not going to say upbringing doesn't have anything to do with it. There are certain patterns you find among gay men, either an absent father or a weak father, overbearing mothers. There are definitely patterns there. And that's not to say that there aren't exceptions to that, that there aren't, you know, gay people who felt like they didn't have an absent father and those sorts of things. But there's definitely a prevalence of it amongst us lots of daddy issues amongst gay men. So does that mean that we were created that way because of trauma or whatever? I don't know. I think that question is still up in the air. I think a lot of gay men are afraid to admit that, that we still don't quite know because the stigma, you know, of being told that you're broken, you know, and right. the pushback against that has been like, well, no, I am born this way and I am this way and it's natural and it's normal. And I do think it's normal, you know, it's existed as long as history has existed. You know, you can find examples of homosexuality going way, way back. But I'm not going to, you know, pretend that that the nurture has nothing to do with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think there's a there's definitely a trauma component for a lot of people. Um, just when you talk to the people in the gay community, when you talk to gay men about their, you know, their childhood, there's a lot of trauma. And if not overt trauma then at least absentee fatherism yeah. or uh, really sort of cluster B style motherism. Uh, and this is something that Josh Stockham talks about on his show on the Disaffected podcast. But I, I think there is a component there. I also think there is a, a nature component. Something happens uh, there. Homosexuality is far more common in densely populated cultures. So I think there's some sort of evolutionary cue yeah. that happens when we start living close together as people. I grew up in the city, yeah. <laughs> so, I think there's some there's some weird combination there. I'm not yeah, too sure. It, it could be, you know, nature's way of trying to like regulate the population or just make sure it doesn't like spread too fast. You know, and, and obviously like the Christian way conservative view of this is that it's totally unnatural, it goes against nature. We're all supposed to procreate, we're all supposed to carry on our genes. And you know, I I don't think humans are that simple. I think we're here to serve different roles. And I think, you know, gay men serve a, a particular purpose in society. Um, that's different than that. You know, we give birth to other sorts of things. You know, many of us are very creative. Many of us are very artistic. And a lot of the beautiful things that everyone in this world enjoys and benefits from 
came from gay and lesbian and bisexual people who did not fit totally into that norm. Like shout out to poor like, Alan Turing. Alan Turing. I mean, like he created the oh, precursor. They created him. <laughs> they tried to transition precursor <laughs> to the modern computer. The reason we're even having this conversation right now and that people can angry tweet all their homophobic <laughs> shit, you know, is from a gay person. So it's like like I said this to someone on Twitter the other day because I posted something about, you know, homosexual love and that it can be as deep as heterosexual love. I wasn't saying all of it is. I'm not saying that there isn't a lot of promiscuous, like throwaway sex amongst gay people. I'm saying it can be as deep and it can produce beautiful things that have nothing to do with progeny. And someone responded to me like, oh, well, take all the homosexuals and like let them start their own country and let's see how many beautiful things they produce. And I'm just like, Dude, you clearly just hate us. You're homophobic. <laughs> like I never said we're the only ones who produce beautiful things. You know, it's just you're you're clearly homophobic, and the only reason you can even type that tweet right now is because of a gay man. We're the spice. We're so. right. spice. Going back to that and hormones, I just feel like now that I've been through what I've been through, I feel like if I had my original levels of testosterone, I would have been kind of like Jeff. No, I'm not. I'm not narcissist enough to say I would be as famous or as like successful as them, but I feel like losing my testosterone was a push behind my creativity. Yeah, and now yeah. it's like, there is not that push. Creativity is still there, but it's like, I almost expect <laughs> somebody else to make things happen. I don't know. It's so weird. Like, <laughs> but I was, at some point I was that person who wanted to, and who had the drive and the power of testosterone to make things happen. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's hard you might just have to push yourself a little harder mentally, but I'm sure that creativity is still very much in there, you know, and if you look deep enough, you're going to find it for sure. Right. And I also wanted to say that in terms of like divine masculine, divine feminine, that really resonates with me. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. It's like, after all psychedelics I did, like I may not be a woman, but I'm definitely divine feminine. To yeah. So divine feminine masculine presents itself in different biological sexes. Yeah. Again, it's another ideology, but to me, that would explain the gayness and uh, a lot of other variations. And I think when you find true love, sometimes it does transcend like biological sex. <laughs> and I guess I want to leave that because I feel like that's a beautiful message to leave for people. Totally. Like, and I think moving forward, I want people to stop like focusing so much on labels as gay, straight, bisexual, and just like yes. take people as is, you know? <laughs> so we're having human experiences together. Right. <laughs> Girl dick is still not a thing, but you know. <laughs> Wait, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on YouTube as Shapeshifter. There's just like space between Shape and Shifter, and on Twitter, Shifter of Shapes. And through that, you can probably find me on Instagram as well. I'm part of Trans Against Groomers and Gays Against Groomers. <laughs> you know, um, I'm on Instagram as well, Shifter of Shape, but I just started. I don't have too many followers on Instagram. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was actually so organic and it flew so well. Like That's how we try to do it. We like to have these natural conversations. You know? It almost like, makes me yeah. sad because I left the gay community and trans community and living cells did so much damage to me because it was almost hard to like blend in and never have to talk about your gay past or trans past, you know? <laughs> and it's almost like I lived all those 10 years of my life never being able to talk about it. I almost like put it away, but that experience never went away. I never like, I kind of never thought of it, never analyzed it because it was my defense mechanism not to have a cognitive yeah. dissonance. <laughs> but now I'm finally getting a chance to talk about it. And thank you so much for having these conversations. Like it gives me hope. 
the community as well that like we're outliers and we're part of in contra culture is we're outliers right would you not agree <laughs> totally no we, we appreciate you talking to us and look you know we are always here to talk if you want to talk with us you know off the show <laughs> if, yeah, you, sure. if you're ever in new york city and you want to hang out we'd love to grab a drink and have some coffee we we think you're a beautiful person and you know we respect oh, what you're really? doing we think <laughs> what you're doing is incredibly brave you know and we commend you for it Thank you. What you're doing is brave too. And honestly, like going into this, I did not know that you guys were gay. I try not to research people, not to have judgment. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing wrong with that, you know. And if anything, you know, I think it's it's good to leave the kind of mystery and excitement. Some men you can tell, some men you can't. And you know, it just goes to show there is no right way to be gay. There's no right way to be a man. There's no right way to be a woman. You know, there there are more common ways to be a man and more common ways to be a woman, and that's fine too. So. And with that thought, I will thank everyone for watching. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, donate if you want to. And we will be back again soon with another one. Yes. Bye-bye. Later, guys. Bye.